Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins, and today we won't be doing a grammar point to start off the show because I just got back from uh, an eight-day holiday traveling Yunnan province uh, to Dali, Lijiang, and Hutiaoxia. Hutiaoxia is Tiger Leaping Gorge. I highly recommend you guys check it out if you haven't seen it before. Uh, give, give that a little Google image search and you'll see some of the most incredible uh, nature. Uh, Yunnan province and western Sichuan province and Guizhou province are some of the most beautiful places I've ever been to in the world, really, but certainly in China. And uh, I'd highly recommend if any of you ever get a chance to head to these places that you, um, you know, go ahead and do it. They actually just built a new high-speed rail from Chengdu to Dali, and it's seven and a half hours. And it's incredible, really, the speed at which the high-speed rail system, bullet trains, essentially, how quickly they have moved across the country. It's, uh, it's really uh, an incredible feat of engineering and infrastructure building across the country. And it's really helping a lot of people who are in uh, rural areas where poverty is still a problem, although poverty in relative terms. I mean, like in China, uh, poverty is something that used to be the state of nature for pretty much everybody in the country about 40 years ago. And now it's a relatively, you know, manageable problem, but still one of the best ways to handle it. Uh, I was listening to a Chinese podcast on a Luoji Siwei about this. And the uh, sp uh, host was saying that because of this infrastructure project and having so many trains, a train ticket has become almost like a green card for somebody who's in a poor rural area because if they can manage to save up 10 bucks, they can get a train ticket and go to a city where opportunities abound. And it's just cool to see every year there's new stations opening up, there's new lines that they'll open up. And so we took advantage of that and uh, took the train from Chengdu to Dali. And um, of course, many of you listening might be like, wow, you guys are uh, traveling, <laughs> you know, because everybody's in their uh, COVID lockdowns in the West. And, you know, China uh, has managed to um, keep, at least from the internal perspective, managed to get the virus sort of under control. It's had a few small outbreaks in um, Beijing and Xinjiang and a couple of places, but each time it never got out of control because this, you know, they're ready now. Uh, people, everyone wears masks. Um, that's interesting that that kind of ended up becoming a big debate uh, in the West. But, um, you know, it's everybody here. It's not a debate. Everybody wears masks. They're still wearing masks, even though the uh, COVID-19 uh, sort of cases are very low. Uh, but we got our um, nucleic acid tests before going. Uh, we didn't end up actually having to show it to anybody because we have these sort of health codes on our phone that they use here. Um, and there was a little bit of extra uh, sort of admin stuff that we had to do as foreigners traveling around. Uh, but nonetheless, though, it was uh, not too hard. And turned out to be this really incredible experience. And the reason why I'm sharing a little bit about this is because, you know, uh, I traveled in this case, it happened to be I went with my girlfriend and a couple of other couples and uh, uh, another guy who came with us and we're all foreigners and um, we speak different levels of Chinese. And um, so, you know, we were seven foreigners traveling around. And uh, first of all, everybody was super friendly. Um, you know, despite uh, sort of international tensions, people in China that, you know, it's always important to remember that, you know, people are not their governments. And so, it, you know, while there is uh, sometimes the occasional person who will really identify with their government or their, their nation, and then they see somebody who's not from their nation, and they have uh, bigoted feelings towards them, that happens in every country, I suppose. Uh, it 
didn't happen to us even once on this eight-day trip. We were treated very well and uh, very uh, people were very friendly. But of course, a reason for that, a, a contributing factor, is that we were, um, you know, able to speak Chinese. And one of the things that sort of occurred to me on several moments is that if we didn't, you know, have Chinese speakers among us, uh, not everybody in the group could speak Chinese, but I could, and uh, one of the other fellows there could, and a couple of the other fellows there could, and so we were able to, you know, figure out. Uh, car rides, hotels, um, you know, ask people about the best places to hike. Uh, it was just very simple to get around. Um, everything that we had to organize, meals, all this type of stuff, it was just a breeze. And what happens is that if you speak good Chinese to Chinese people, they react so well because it's like they instantly know, oh, you put the time in, you put the effort in to understand our pretty complicated language. And so that tacitly communicates respect. And I think that everybody kind of likes that. Everybody likes when you come to their country and you speak their language. You know, maybe uh, English speakers don't necessarily feel like that because English is the lingua franca across the world. But if it, you know, if you go to any country where their their language is not the primary language of the world, then um, they're going to be impressed to some degree that you learn the language, especially when it's Mandarin Chinese. So uh, I just wanted to sort of share that as an anecdote that uh, if you learn Chinese, people will react very positively to you in China, and you're likely to have a very enjoyable time. And we certainly did. It was a great, uh, great fun. Um, and I can highly recommend checking out these places. Some of the best hiking I've ever done. Uh, very, very beautiful scenery, uh, just outrageous. And so I uh, highly recommend if you ever get the chance to go to Tiger Leaping Gorge in Yunnan province and Dali. Dali's great because it's, it's got this, uh, you know, huge lake that takes, uh, you know, if you were to bike around it, it would take the whole day to bike around. And so it's about 120 kilometers uh, around the lake. And so it's really quite a beautiful place, lots of good culture there, great food. And so anyway, just that little story. And now let's get into some comments and emails. The first one coming from Neil Rogers, and he says, Hey, Luke and Phil, help. I am feeling a tad swamped and not sure if I am making my standard Mandarin learning more difficult than it needs to be. My progress seems to be very slow going. Admittedly, I have not been able to give one hour every day during the working week. I'm able to give up two to three hours at the weekend. So the amount of time I give fluctuates, but is something like this for an average week. Monday, 30 minutes. Tuesday, one hour. Wednesday, one hour. Thursday, zero. Friday, 30 minutes. Saturday, one hour. Sunday, three hours. And I'll just make a comment about this here. The Thursday, zero, I get that Thursday is probably your busiest day, but even one minute would be better than zero because having a zero day can sort of uh, mess with the habit building sort of part of our brain. Now, six days a week is still probably going to form the habit, but, um, you know, even if you just do one flashcard or one lesson, uh, that's, you know, if you can find a way to fit it into your day, which, you know, almost anybody can, if they say, I must find a way to fit at least one thing into their day, uh, that it's just no zero days is always our recommendation because that helps keep the habit building 
going. Uh, now let's continue with his um, comments. He says, I am determined to work through the Mandarin Bluebird material properly to make sure I get to grips with pronunciation mastery before I even think about the Mandarin Bluebird Foundation course. Even though I've been away on holiday for two weeks, it has taken me two and a half months to get to the end of Unit 2, including a full review of Unit 1. I'm about to review Unit 2 and to go through the very helpful emails you sent last month. My general approach to learning the Mandarin Bluebird materials has been to watch the video clips usually more than once any video clip with spoken Mandarin I listen to when practicing multiple times. I then review every video clip making notes. I then read through the information, pro tips, and bonus material by making notes and making sure I understand them before I click the lesson completed button. I've just downloaded Anki for my Android. Do you have a PDF tutorial for Android? You mentioned that Anki will become your most significant tool for remembering everything taught in these videos and anything you want to keep in your short-term memory in the future as well. I noticed that the Anki flashcards are for Unit 2 and Unit 3. Do you have flashcards for Unit 1 material as well? I'm a big visual learner and learn by doing. So there's no uh, Anki cards for Unit 1 because Unit 1 is uh, mostly just introductions, uh, covers the tones, and it's not really the same type of material that we cover in Unit 2, which are things that you'll want to remember. Uh, so there's no Unit 1 Anki flashcard. As for tutorials, Anki is um, pretty much the same on iPhone, Android, uh, Windows, and Mac. There are some slight design differences, but the functionality is pretty much the same. So uh, no need to worry about that too much. The main thing you should know is that you want to edit your Anki cards on your computer, your laptop or desktop computer, sync it, and then use Anki Droid from there uh, after syncing it. And the way you sync is that after you've made any edits on your computer, you press the sync button. This is all in the uh, tutorial uh, Google slide, but uh, you sync it on your computer. If you haven't logged, made an account yet with Anki Web, it'll prompt you to, but assuming you have, uh, it'll sync to Anki Web. And then with your Android phone, you want to be logged in with the same credentials. And then after you sync on your computer, you then sync from your Android phone, which downloads it from Anki Web, and then they're both in sync. And so basically, after every time you do some kind of changes, whether it's a study session or you make edits, you want to sync both devices. That way, they're exactly the same. And I would recommend doing using your Anki Droid to do your reviews and then use your computer to make any edits to the cards. Uh, in the pronunciation, mastery there's no real need to make any edits but when you get to the manner of Liberty foundation course uh you'll want to do your edits there so um and of course we have all of this in the unit level reviews so basically there's a couple of things i would mention about this uh it's important to remember that everything that you learn in pronunciation mastery is going to be reinforced over and over and over as you continue to learn Mandarin, because every character has a pronunciation. Uh, you're gonna be practicing sentences, which have pronunciation on the sentence level. You're gonna have lots of words, which are tone pairs. Um, all of these things are gonna keep coming up. So I think that it's fair to say that you're being a bit too perfectionistic in how long it's taking you to go through each lesson and making sure that you understand everything, because there's no reason that you need to understand everything 100% fully before you go into the Mandarin Blueprint Foundation course, because again, you're going to reinforce these things over and over. And uh, so it's not to say that it, you won't benefit from taking this much time uh, on each concept, but it's the kind of thing that if you took that level of time with everything that you come across, then, you know, it's going to take a really long time to learn Mandarin. So like you just have to weigh those in the balance. Like sure, uh, if you spend 
you know, two and a half months going through units one and two, you're going to really understand the concepts. But on the other hand, at that rate, it would take you, um, let's see, two units per two and a half months. So that's uh, eight units in 10 months. And there's 10 units overall. So basically a year to go through pronunciation mastery, which is 180 lessons. You know, the Mandarin Blueprint Foundation course and intermediate course are 4,000 lessons overall. And they get you to 94% of the language by frequency, so you're not really done by the end of that. So the, if you just extrapolate that out, it would take a lifetime to learn. So the, the key is to trust that you will reinforce the knowledge later and you'll be able to get it down, no problem. And then also, now that you're just starting to use Anki, Anki is the way that you remember everything. So especially when you get to the foundation course, but also for pronunciation mastery, you're going to have uh, the flashcard algorithm show you what you need to see every day. Uh, I just was doing a case study today with TJ Chernick, and he was saying, you know, Anki really just allows you to go with the flow. If you don't understand something completely, you can just move on because Anki will check you. You'll find out whether or not there's a, a gap in your thinking. So uh, my recommendation would be that you don't need to spend quite as much time making sure you're mastering everything. Uh, you can go from there. So let me just make sure that I've covered all of your questions. Um, looks like I have. And great. Okay. So that's uh thanks for the email there neil and we'll move on to the next question which is from melanie fairhead in the community she says hi everyone new here and enjoying the program so far i would like to take the hsk tests to see my progress is there a way to tell when you're ready to take let's say the hsk one in the program how will we know what level we're at as we go through this is our sort of philosophy on the hsks I don't think that it's worth taking the HSK 1 through 3 because the HSKs 1 through 3 are quite far from fluency or literacy in by any sort of, you know, general metric. And they also, uh, nobody is going to like, now I, I get you want to track your progress, but I'm just saying you can start tracking your progress by the HSK 4. So uh, the HSKs 1 through 3 aren't going to get you any kind of, uh, help on a resume. Like if you had say, uh, I passed the HSK three on a resume for a company that needs a Mandarin speaker, they're going to go, Oh, well then this person doesn't know enough Mandarin, right? It's not a high enough level. So, uh, I wouldn't focus too much on it. Also the HSKs one and two are, um, they're very basic and they're not in our opinion, the things that you should learn first. So technically speaking, there might be a few things from the HSKs one and two that you're not going to learn until, you know, a, a decent of the decent bit of the way into the Mandarin blueprint method. And, um, that's because they're not actually that necessary to learn super early. We're about building a solid foundation. The HSK is kind of about what the Confucius Institute thinks you should do to sort of, um, not only know Mandarin, but know things about Chinese culture and whatever. And it's all fine, but it's not really uh, the metric by which we built the course. That said, we do in between the HSK, or sorry, the um, foundation course, which is level 36, and the intermediate course, which is level 37 to level 57, uh, we provide an Anki deck that has all of the HSK one through three remaining words that you can make from the um, first 592 characters that are in the foundation course. And then the intermediate course, we're sure to cover all of the characters and vocabulary that are in the HSK four. So um, 
essentially by the time you finish the intermediate course, you should easily be able to pass the HSK4. And I would bet that you'd even do pretty well on the HSK5, although we wouldn't make any guarantees about that, but I'm sure that you'd be able to pass the HSK4 after you've gone through all of the materials in uh, the Mandarin Blueprint Foundation course and intermediate course. And then from there, you'd be able to, because uh, you, uh, you, you'd you also want to make sure that you got through all of your Anki cards for all of that. And you've, they've all become mature, so you've seen them a few times. If you did that, there's no doubt in my mind you'd be able to pass the HSK4, no problem. So my recommendation, Melanie, would be just to only worry about Mandarin Blueprint's progress marker for now. Like, are you at level 13 or are you at level 20 or whatever? Uh, phase 1, Phase 2, Phase 3, Phase 4, Phase 5 in the intermediate course. Uh, just cover that for now, and then if you decide later that um, you want to take the HSK, do it after you're finished with Mandarin Blueprint, and I think that you'll be fine uh, with that. So that's my recommendation. Evan Hall in the community. I really enjoyed working through the Mandarin Blueprint method. I've just reached phase three. It's very exciting finally reading some sentences. Now that I'm speaking much more in the practice, I find my voice is fatiguing very fast and starts to feel scratchy in my throat, especially on third tone words, making daily practice something not as enjoyable as it had has been for the last six weeks. Trying to uh, speak with less effort makes it sound farther uh, from the native examples. Would love to hear if others have come across this problem. Well, I can't imagine that anybody learning Mandarin wouldn't come across this problem because, uh, of course, there's a large number of sounds that you don't make in your native language. And so... It's completely natural, just in the same way that if you're learning uh, piano, you're going to have to build up your fingers to be able to move quickly and accurately across the keyboard. Uh, drumming, um, you know, engineering, uh, any kind of thing where you need to use uh, your hands, uh, well, certain types of engineering, anything where you have to use your hands and uh, create something, uh, or, or sorry, use your muscles, I should say. It could be your mouth muscles in singing or, or your vocal cords or things like that. And all of these things will eventually um, develop, right? And of course, at the beginning, it's going to be the hardest it'll ever be. Uh, in phase three is the first time you use sentences. So this is the first time that you're speaking beyond just single character, two characters, right? It's the, the first time that you're actually putting together a full thought, a full phrase. And so this is only natural that at this point you would have that scratchy throat or, or feel fatigued. That's good. I mean, if you weren't feeling that way, I would think that you're not putting in enough effort. So uh, the only thing I can say is that as you keep doing it, it will become easier. It's, a, it's only natural. Now, in phase four, we're going to have the text tracking, uh, short, uh, short stories, opinion pieces, and conversations. You'll be able to follow along with those and practice uh, along with the native speakers at 80% speed and native speed. And so this is... Um, you're preparing yourself for that. When you get to that, that'll be fatiguing at the beginning, but then you'll get good at it. And, you know, by the end of the foundation course, you'll feel a lot more confident. Your muscles will have developed. And, you know, so uh, it's a completely normal thing you're experiencing now. And the best advice is just to keep going. And also remember that when it comes to Anki cards, you can uh, practice your speed reading. So if you're finding yourself getting really fatigued with the pronunciation and speaking everything out, then take some time with some flashcards and focus on uh, reading them quickly and moving through them quickly because that's important too. You want to be able to uh, read at a faster pace as you go along. So if you're tired from talking, practice your speed reading, uh, but keep practicing speaking and shadowing the sentences whenever you get the chance. Next, we have a question from Christine on uh, the grammar point. How does what 
adverbs expressing tone of voice. She says, I love these grammar points. It really helps to clarify some of the sentences that we have already read but might not have understood clearly. Thank you. So I'm glad to see that Christine has framed the comment this way because that's exactly how we intend to put the grammar lessons. So the grammar lessons, you know, it's it's the wrong move to learn a grammar point first and then see example sentences because you've got yourself thinking about this abstract conceptual thing that has nothing to do with producing the language. What's better is to see several sentences and go, okay, that's interesting that that's the translation for this sentence. And but all right, so you have, and then you see ten sentences or so with that type of structure, and then you see the grammar point. We say, okay, like so, this is what you've been seeing, and this is how it works. And this is this makes it much more of an experience like Christine is having, where she says, I love the grammar points. Like I hated grammar points in university, but you like them when they're revealing what you already know and articulating what you already know, as opposed to just putting some brand new piece of conceptual, uh, you know, academia in front of your face and then saying, okay, now try to uh, see some example sentences with this weird concept. It's just, it's always the cart before the horse if you do the uh, grammar point first before you've seen anything. So while it can be uh, sometimes frustrating if you're reading a sentence and you're like, you don't know why it is, uh, it's still the best thing to just go with it and just be like, all right, well, this works. You can say it this way. I, I don't totally understand why, but I'll move on. And then if a grammar point comes up later, it's like, oh, that's why. Okay. And then it's, it feels much more, um, uh, it's just much more satisfying. Next, Chris Lewis on bonus characters, strokes, and stroke order rule number one. Uh, he says, fantastic lesson. I can't believe there are so few strokes. Uh, first of all, I met Chris in Dali. I met him uh, at a shop that we went to eat dinner at in Dali. And uh, my uh, friend Sinead told him about um, the course and he, he bought it. He just like bought the course right there. He was with his family and he's learning Chinese and he... Uh, you know, said he would ask some questions on the course, and this is a f- his first one. Yeah, it's really surprising how few strokes there are. Uh, you know, obviously there's lots of combinations of strokes, but ultimately there are only these uh, the six basic strokes, and then there's lots of you know combo strokes and all that. But you know, strokes you'll find. I mean, we put them as bonuses. Strokes actually, if you follow the stroke order gifts in the uh, Anki cards and in on the lessons, you'll see that you get used to it really quickly. It's not actually that hard. Uh, every now and then your instinct is wrong, but you start to develop instincts for it, and they're almost always right because it's pretty pretty basic, as you'll see, and go through the stroke order rules. Soren Korsbeck on 看书看到多少页了. This is a uh, lesson with longer form content. And uh, he asked or made this comment, and then uh, Christine made a similar comment. And I just, I'm going to address these, but this is a um, reference to an update that we've made to phase four. So in phase four, we now have uh, the longer form content in the form of downloadable videos that have text tracking and have male and female voice, have 80% speed and have uh, native speed for both voices. If it's a conversation, then both voices are in it and it's just so it's 80% speed and native speed. But if it's a, an opinion piece or a short story, you end up with four different versions, 80% female, native female, 80% male, native male. And so each of these has a text tracking on it so that you can see where the audio is visually. Um, Now, one of the things I didn't include was the actual text itself. Uh, The files that are there are an image file of the text. There's a, um, there's uh, the 
different video files. There's the audio files, um, but there isn't actually a uh, text file, so you can't copy and paste. I'm going to fix this. Uh, I'm going to add the text to the actual lesson itself for each of these, um, and so that you can look things up if you want. Uh, what happened was Soren discovered that there was a missing top-down word, and I he couldn't verify it because there was no way to copy and paste. Totally reasonable uh, that that he would have that complaint, and so I realized, oh yeah. I thought we had found all the top-down words that were missing, but uh, there might be a couple of stragglers, and if there are, you need to be able to look it up. So I will add the text to all of these lessons for sure. It's on my list. Um, so uh, just just letting you guys know uh, to both Soren and Christine who commented on these that um, you know we need to uh, get those in there. We're going to do it um, very soon. All right. Jose PG on New Vocabulary Unlocked, dung dung. In this phrase, dung dung, ta ma shang jiu guan men le. Ma shang and jiu seem like they share a similar meaning. Are they commonly put together to mean about to do something? I ask because I'm having trouble giving the phrase the sense of he's about to close the door because in my head it seems that I could give it the same meaning by omitting jiu and leaving it as, as ta ma shang guan men le. How does Zhou add something to the phrase thanks? So ma shang is a word that is so frequent that people will sometimes break the rule that you need to have zhou and le to uh, indicate um, that something's about to happen. So there's a rule in Chinese grammar, which is if you specify a time, which ma shang counts as a time, like it means very soon, like it's on the horse, it's about to get here, right? So, or you say a specific time, like you say 3.30, or you say uh, tomorrow, right? Something that's a time-based word, then you really should add 就 or 就要 before the thing that's about to happen, and then put 了 after it. Now, 他马上关门了 is actually okay, because 马上 is such a common word that they sometimes, it's like, this is how language evolves sometimes. You end up in a situation where because something is so common and is said all the time, it therefore uh, can sort of flout the rules a little bit. And so you can say, but if you want to follow the grammar rule, it would be or And so this is just sort of uh, how you say that something is about to happen if you use a time-based vocabulary word. Now, if you don't use any time, so uh, you can say kuai something le or kuai yao something le. So kuai means fast or soon, so it will happen fast. Um, and so if I say ta kuai guan men le or ta kuai yao guan men le, those are just general terms, meaning he's about to close the door. But because there's no um, time-based vocabulary word, you don't have to use jiu. But if you if I say ta ba dian, zhou yao guan men le, because I said ba dian, eight o'clock, then I sh I have to say zhou yao as as opposed to kuai yao or kuai. And uh, again, ma shang is kind of an exception to this rule because it's such a common word that people say all the time and. So yeah, Jose, you can basically you can say both, but the for your original question, you said "jo." Uh, what's the function of "jo"? Actually, that's the grammatically correct way to say it if you're going to have any kind of time-based word. So the structure is subject, time-based word, 
like ma shang, ming tian, ba dian, san dian, something time-based, and then zhou or zhou yao. And then the thing that's about to happen, le, right? And that's um, that's the technical way to do it. And ma shang just sometimes is an exception to that rule. Jose again on new vocabulary unlocked for zhong jian. He says, what is the role of dao in this phrase? Bie zou dao ma lu zhong jian. Don't walk in the middle of the street. So uh, a lot of times when you're wondering about questions like this, where it's like, what is the difference between, or what is the function of this character? Try taking it out and seeing what happens. So, uh, don't walk street. You know, it's sort of, if you take away dal, then it's a, you're verbing a noun, which how does that work, right? Uh, I mean, I guess you could say, uh, there's other things where you could verb a noun. I hit him, that would be okay, but uh, is walk or leave, right? So in this case, it's walk. Um, I walk street. It doesn't really make sense. I walk to the street or I walk arriving at the street. And so dao means to arrive or, you know, yeah, so it's essentially, it might be translated as in or to, right, in this particular case, but it means arrive. So bie, don't, zhou, walk, dao. The arrival of your walk being the street, uh, but, well, you know, ma lu zhong jian, so ma lu street, zhong jian is the middle of the street, so bie zhou dao ma lu zhong jian, so dao is just indicating that uh, that's the, where you arrive as a result of the walking. It's essentially a uh, verb complement to zhou, so that's the function of dao there. William Beeman on new vocabulary unlocked for nu ren, which means woman. The first sentence is simple. 我是个好女人, but what about adding e? So, 我是一个好女人, are they the same? Yes, they are exactly the same. If you omit a number and just put the measure word, it means e, it means there's only one of those. So this can happen, this happens all the time, actually. Uh, so you'll look out for this when you're seeing sentences. So, 我是个好女人, uh, or in my case, 我是个好男人, uh, I hope I'm a good guy, <laughs> but, um, you know, or 我是一个好男人, that is, they're exactly the same, and if you omit the number, you can assume that it's one, because obviously you would specify if it were any number higher than one, and so uh, if I just say, um, uh, he's a liar, I could say, or but to be honest, you'll hear people say in speech, uh, they'll leave it out if you can. I mean, like, whenever you can leave out something, it's more efficient, and so people will tend to do that in speech a lot. So look out for that. If you leave out the number, you know, uh, anytime you would say something, you can just say uh, or you could say, uh, you know, the whatever measure word it is. Um, and so, yeah, uh, I would recommend just keeping your eye out for that, and they're exactly the same, though, in terms of meaning. William Beeman again on new vocabulary unlocked for Meinyu. This means uh, pretty lady, beautiful lady. Someone told me that Meinyu was an okay way to hail a waitress in a restaurant. Is this so? I wouldn't want to insult anyone. Yes, that is perfectly fine. You can also say Shuaigu, uh, which means handsome boy. <laughs> it's so funny because it be, like you know men call each other handsome boy all the time here in. Um, uh, in China. It's just basically a, a general term 
of uh, address for like a young man. I am too old now to be a shy guy anymore. Uh, people tend to refer to me as shushu, which means like uncle. So I've gotten yeah, balding and I'm over, over 30. So at this point I've graduated to being called shushu, which is so like if I, a kid's walking around and they say hello uh, or like, oh, what foreigner, why go in? Um, the parents will also say, will often say, you know, um, to their kid, you know, say hi to, to the person. They'll say, ni shuo shu shu ni hao, shu shu ni hao. And they started doing that. Before, they used to say, shuai ge ni hao. And now they say, shu shu ni hao. And so that's a sign that you're growing older. China does a very good job of, uh, <laughs> there's they have no shame about age. And they have no shame about judging other people's age. It's just not a thing here. They're not worried about it. And so as you grow older, uh, the you'll move into the different sort of, stages of what the general term of address is. And of course, if you're uh, getting to be a senior citizen age, they'll start to call you, if you're a guy, yeah, yeah. Or if you're a, a woman, nine, nine. And um, this is just what they say. Oh, and actually, older women, they, they tend to stick with ai. Ai is just like a general term of address for like auntie. And, um, you know, pretty much no matter how old a woman gets, you can still call her uh, ai. But Again, if she's very old, you'll hear people say nai nai a lot. Um, but yeah, ai tends to stick around longer. It's kind of interesting that for men, it, you don't have to get that old for people to start calling you yeah yeah. But for women, they'll kind of stick with ai for a long time. And ai is uh, kind of the same. It's it's in the equivalent to shushu, right? So auntie and uncle, ai and shushu are the general terms for auntie and uncle. And uh, even though they're equal in the age range, it will last longer for women than it will last for men. <laughs> like men will become yeah, yeah, much earlier than women will become nai nai in my experience and just seeing them, people talk about it. Uh, but yeah, you can totally, if you're in a restaurant, you can totally say menu and they'll come over, uh, the waitress will come over. And of course the general term is fu yuan, fu wu yuan, fu wu means service and yuan means like worker of some sort. So whatever, you know, um, uh, you say, for example, guanyuan is a government worker, right? So it's like the worker is a yuan, so fu wu yuan, fu yuan. And so like because fu and wu are both, it is a kind of an interesting pronunciation thing, uh, you know, fu wu, fu wu. There's, there's a, one of the situations where because wu is like kind of, they're right up after each other. You have fu and then you're just sticking with the u sound, but going fourth tone. So, fu yuan, fu yuan. And so a lot of times the u can almost feel lost. And of course, a lot of times people will say it in the Beijing accent. So, fu yuan, fu yuan. And like the wu almost gets lost in the whole thing. So, fu yuan. And that works. You, you shout that out, somebody will come to you. And if you're not in China, you might not know that the restaurant culture here is A, there's no tipping. So, uh, as a result of there not being tipping, which, you know, Americans really enjoy when they come here, um, is that you don't have the waiters and waitresses coming over a lot like they do in America. Like in, in America, they tend to come over and like, how are we doing? How's everybody doing? You know, you're like, I'm having a conversation and go away. Uh, but, uh, you know, they they don't really do that here. But it's perfectly okay to just call them over. And so in America, it's kind of rude to say waiter, um, but you're supposed to just put up your hand and they're supposed to be paying enough attention to uh, see your hand go up. But in China, it's much more just like you call them over and you can do that by saying, 
or you can say "meinu" or "shuigo" or that type of thing. So, or "laoban." That's another one that's good too. Is a "laoban" means boss, and whether or not they're the boss, if you call somebody "laoban," they'll be fine with that. So, um, anyway, point is, these are terms of address that are totally fine. Uh, I remember I was on the phone once uh, with a, a delivery guy who was bringing me some uh, a takeout. And he was running late. And as soon as I answered the phone, he just said, uh, uh, And like, I was just like, he's just calling me handsome boy over the phone right away. <laughs> it's just a funny thing that they do here. And it's totally normal. Nobody thinks it's uh, weird at all. You know, certainly if I were to <laughs> refer to a waiter as handsome boy in the States, people would give me a couple of weird looks. But it's just how it is. These little lovely cultural differences. William Beeman on New Vocabulary Unlocked for Nyar. The sentence, What does the goodza do in this sentence? So goodza is just height. It's just a way of saying your height. It's kind of an interesting way to frame how tall you are. Uh, but uh, yeah, like with height, it's just gao um, and I are the two adjectives you'll use for that. So gao is tall, I is short. And it's like, Gal and uh, and I, when it comes to short and tall, it's off the ground, right? So it's like I mean short, but um, duan also means short, but that's short in terms of like length. So short pants, for example, are called uh, duan ku, right? So like ku uh, is the general term for pants, and chang ku is long pants, and duan ku is short pants, but it's not necessarily off the ground. If you're talking about how tall something is off the ground, the two words you use are gao, meaning tall, and I, meaning short. And so goods is just how tall you are, and zhang gao is to grow tall. So like to grow with the results of being tall. So wen you are goods a zhang gao la. So you know you haven't seen your friend's uh, daughter in a while and she got tall. Um, so yeah, that totally is, that can happen. Um, yeah, goods. Rick Angelin on It's a Word for Kai. He says, would Zokai be a useful vocab word to add here? I'm not sure if the compound is already covered by grammar rules, but I see it as an entry in the Dong Chinese online dictionary. I heard that Kai can mean spread as well as open. And so in this compound, it sort of expresses spreading apart. So yeah, so I think we will add this as a usage of Kai. We tended to try to keep things to three, three usages uh, in... Um, the foundation course and Kai has a lot of different usages, but um, think about like something. So the, what it means when it's in Zou Kai is to, it's a result of a verb that means disseminate or spread about. So Zou Kai means to walk away, right? So you are, if you imagine it as like a group of people, especially at the, like the police are at a scene and there's a bunch of people gathered around and the police don't want people gathered around. So they say Zou Kai. Everyone walk away, disseminate, right? Like, get, get out of here. And it's also, it's um, not particularly offensive. I have this, there's always this story that I tell of when, and I've told this story in the podcast before, so sorry if you've heard it, but like uh, when I was uh, just learning Chinese and it was St. Patrick's Day in Chengdu, I was coming home at like 1.30 in the morning and I had a few things to drink, celebrating my heritage uh, at the Shamrock Bar. And, uh, I, there was these couple of Chinese guys who walked out of a KTV and they had also, they had had more to drink than I had. And they were, um, 
they started like kind of being like, oh, hey, foreigner, what are you doing for? Hey, hey. They were kind of like, not exactly. They were just being a little rude. And I was really tired and I did not want to talk to them at the time. And what I should have said to them was Dokai, which would just mean walk away. And they wouldn't have particularly been offended had I done that. But I just learned in Chinese, uh, my Chinese classes at university, the word gun, which means basically F off. It's a similar, like, general meaning in the sense of go away, but it, it's, uh, it's a way of saying it that is, uh, you know, offensive. So they were not very happy with that, and they uh, kind of got angry with me. But that was, it was an innocent mistake. If I had just said, it's okay, then they wouldn't have done anything because they would have just been like, all right, whatever, he just doesn't want to talk to us. Um, so it's okay just means go away. But here's the thing. Zokai in and of itself isn't really that important of a word because what is really important to understand is that kai has this meaning of disseminate as in relationship to the verb. Here's a simple way to understand that. Tui means push. Tui kai means push open, right? So, or push out, right? So tui kai men would mean to open a door. And, you know, like, make sure it's, uh, you know, totally open from there. Now, obviously, that shows how to spread or disseminate, which is what's happening when you're pushing open a door, relates to the original meaning of kai, which means to open, right? So all of these different meanings of a character tend to orbit the idea of the most basic meaning. So kai, most basic meaning, open. But alternative meaning disseminate right so or spread out well that's kind of what you're doing when you open a door you're 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 pushing the door out you're spreading it away you're disseminating it from its current position in space not very far but you are and so it's like that's toy kaimen and so toy is the verb kai is the result of the verb so means to walk so kai means to walk in such a way that you are spreading uh, uh, you're disseminating you're moving on and so that the point I'm getting at here is that it's not so important the individual word zokai. It's that you understand that kai can be used after a verb to indicate the dissemination of that verb. And uh, so, yeah, but we'll still probably add it because zokai is pretty useful uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. Alexandra on bonus, the language learning tripart, tripod part three time. She says, this is great. I will check out Happy Chinese as I was wondering what simple Chinese podcast slash YouTube I could listen to to help with my recognition. Phil and Luke, do you have anything else you could recommend that would be good to listen to in the background that might be simple enough for a beginner to follow along with? Thanks. So there's two answers to this. One is that as you move into the Mandarin Blueprint method further, eventually you'll get to uh, the phase four and phase five. Uh, longer form stories, which have the MP3 files and the MP4 files available for download. And you should definitely download those, get them onto an MP3 player that can play a lot and have them play in your house uh, all the time, because that will be pretty close to comprehensible. And, um, you know, especially because of where you're seeing it in the course. So that that's coming up later when you get further into the course. Uh, Slow Chinese is a podcast that specifically does Chinese that's slow. Now it's probably still too advanced to understand it, but because it's slow, you'll at least have something you can notice. And uh, there's loads of apps for um, Chinese, for example, Himalaya, which is Himalaya, Himalaya FM, Himalaya FM. There's Li FM. Uh, there's um, 
Dodal APP, which is a bunch of intellectual podcasts and whatever. And these are going to be far too advanced for you to understand now. But again, just because you can't understand something doesn't mean there's nothing you could notice. Having Chinese on all the time is actually a great idea. You should really, if you can, Katsumoto always says, if your ears are open and you don't hear Chinese coming in or Japanese, which is his site, all Japanese all the time, but it doesn't matter. It could be any language. If you're attempting to acquire a second language and your ears are open and you do not hear that language, there's room for improvement of your environment. So if there's a speaker that you can plug in somewhere and connect it to an MP3 player of some sort, an old phone maybe that you don't use anymore, and just fill it up with a bunch of Chinese or, or have it playing Chinese podcasts and just have it on, even if it's low volume, even if it's volume one so that it's not bothering you too much and occasionally you turn it up so that you can hear it, the things you can notice will really surprise you. So, uh, for example, you'll notice a first tone. You'll notice that they said a particular difficult initial, like ji, qi, xi, or perhaps chi, or zhi. And you'll be like, okay, I'm, I'm hearing that. I notice that. You notice a fourth tone. You notice a tone pair, like mei uh, guo is a third tone, second tone. And maybe you know the word mei guo because you're, maybe you're American and you know the, that that's the name of the country in uh, Chinese. Or... You hear uh, a sentence where you understood that particular sentence. The point is, there's always something you might be able to notice. And if you always have it on, then that increases the likelihood that you'll occasionally notice something. If it's not on, there's no ability to potentially notice anything. Now, again, this is passive. It's just on in the background. You notice something if you happen to notice it. It's no big deal. You don't have to, like, focus on it, right? And it's too advanced for you to comprehend it anyway. But as you continue... Through the Mandarin Bloober method, you continue learning characters, you continue learning sentences and words, and you just keep building that up. You'll notice that the things that you notice in the immersion are picking up. You're starting to notice more and more things, and like each day, it just gets a little bit better. And you know, after a year of that, you think you're not going to be able to understand Chinese? Woo! You're going to understand loads. I mean, you're not going to be absolutely fluent, but you're going to be way better than you would be if you didn't just turn on the speaker, right? It's like, it's such a simple thing to do, but we're, sometimes we have emotional resistance to it, but like, it's, again, turn it on, never turn it off. Just turn the volume down, turn the volume down to a level where it's like, um, it doesn't bother you. You have a guest over the UPS guy pulls in and you want to turn it down. Fine, but don't turn it off because if you turn it off, you might forget to turn it back on. Whereas if you turn it down to one, volume one, then eventually when it quiets down and you've moved on from whatever it was that was uh, taking up your attention, you'll notice, oh yeah, that's still on and you might turn it back up. So uh, having that immersion on all the time is really helpful. So slow Chinese, uh, Leisure FM, Shimalaya FM. We actually have a bunch of um, different uh, resources that we've uh, compiled and you know you can check them out on the community forum. We put them there. And so anyway, uh, that's what I would recommend. Just always have Chinese on all the time. Rick Santos on It's a Word for Zai. For a while back there, I had a doubt about where I placed my actor in character number five, Gan, which would be uh, first tone, so it would be outside the entrance of your AN set. Yes, the blade was still up on the cross to dry up because the entrance first tone was flooded. But several days later, after the flood dried up, my actor took the blade in the cross to do something in the backyard. So now it is in the fourth tone. So this is a great thing for Rick to do here. So Gan is character number five. So we didn't want to overwhelm you by being in, in, at way back at character five in level one by mentioning that 
Gan also has an alternate pronunciation, gan, which means to do, to, to, to do work usually. Um, for example, gan hua is just um, like huo, which means to live, or hua. Gan uh, hua just means like to do a certain bit of work. You know, like you've got a, a, some work to do over there, you're going to gan hua uh, that work. And uh, or you could gan gong zuo, or ni zai gan shenme, ni gan ma, ni zai gan shenme. What are you doing, right? Or nikama? What are you doing? Like nikama is kind of like a way of saying like, yeah, what? What are you doing? Or nikama uh, is like, what are you doing right now? And a little bit less of a, um, it's a little, it's a little bit less um, sort of indignant. Um, but anyway, so we we didn't mention that because of course gan by itself meaning dry is kind of its primary pronunciation pronunciation and meaning, but. The only difference between gan and gan in terms of its components, props, actor, and set is that you would move from first tone outside the entrance to fourth tone, which is the back, backyard or bathroom. So Rick, by doing this, has given himself a little mnemonic to remember the alternate pronunciation. Now, I don't think you have to do this because in our experience of uh, learning Chinese and teaching Chinese, as long as you know the primary pronunciation and the primary meaning, the secondary pronunciation and meaning tend to come easily through context later. But, uh, you know, if you want, you can do an additional mnemonic like uh, Rick has done here and make it, you know, so that you uh, will remember it more quickly that way. But it's just, it's really important not to let the perfect be the enemy of the good with all this stuff because you're going to continue seeing things. You're going to continue uh, seeing grammar structures and words used in different contexts. And like, you're going to see, oh, this word used here and then used there. And then, then as you get better and you have more uh, grammar modules in your brain, more vocabulary to deal with, you have more uh, tools at your disposal to figure things out through context. So for example, uh, now that I read Chinese all the time and use Chinese day to day, I will be able to figure out what a word means without ever seeing its definition or knowing anything about it, right? I don't necessarily have to look up the word because I can figure it out through the context of what I'm reading, you know? Um, this happens every day to me. And so you will eventually get to that point. And so because we're so confident that you will, and you know, you should be confident that you will, if you don't understand why something is the way it is, uh, it's not like it's absolutely essential for you to figure it out in that moment because you're going to come across it again, especially if it's high frequency. So it's just a point to recognize that you can absolutely do what Rick has done here and uh, make an extra mnemonic so that you have not only the first definition of gan, meaning dry, first tone, and gan, meaning to do work or something uh, as fourth tone, but you don't have to. You will figure this stuff out either way. Next, Michaela Ellison on New Vocabulary Unlocked for Shanghai. Thank you so much for getting rid of pinyin early in the course. If it's there, I can't not look at it, even if I don't want to and even if I don't need it. In my experience, too many students rely on pinyin for far too long. Reading sentences without it right from the start feels so much better. Yes, absolutely. I'm glad that you feel that way, Michaela. And, you know, that's something that we knew was possible. We're like, hey, the, the Hansa movie method works. It helps you remember the pronunciation of a character. So... If you remember the pronunciation, you do not need the pinyin and you should not rely on the pinyin. And so that's going to get you to comprehensible input in the shortest amount of time, which gets you to fluency in the shortest amount of time. So excellent. I'm glad you see why that's so useful. Theodore March on Ankidex Inside Level 9 Complete. I'm starting to know the characters we've studied on site. When I see them, everything about them just pops into my head. No movie necessary. It's a really powerful tool you've created. Yes, this is really important to focus, to remember because... Of course, you 
can uh, forget your mnemonic as long as you remember the character. So the mnemonic is a bridge, okay? Sometimes people think, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Create 3,000 movie scenes? It's like, and remember them forever? It's like, no, you're not going to remember them forever. You just need to remember them long enough for you to be able to see the character in the context of words and in the context of sentences and in the context of longer form content. How many times do you have to see it in context before you've just got it for life? You know, it's almost sometimes when people talk about these things, it's like they've forgotten the more basic thing that they're doing because of course eventually you'll memorize anything that you put that you've put in front of yourself long enough it's not like rote learning for example doesn't have any efficacy right of course you could force yourself to learn something it's just about how do you get to that repetition and the way you get to the repetition the best way is to first create a strong memory which is what the hens of movie method does it creates a strong connection and then you see it in the context of reading which you're not doing uh the repetition by going you know write it again write it again write it again write it again say it write it again say it write it again say it you're not doing it like that you're getting lots of different repetitions at the same time you read one sentence that has 10 characters you just got 10 repetitions of those characters and so you're constantly getting that repetition. Eventually, you've hit whatever the magic number is for that particular word, that particular character, that you'll never need to ever review it again. You just have it for life. And so the problem that most people run into with Chinese is that they need a certain number of characters before they can even read sentences and before they can even read paragraphs. And so the time between learning the characters in the first place and being able to use them in context uh, is too long for you to be able to simply rote memorize, right? So what you need to do is you need to have a strong memory technique to bridge the gap between when you don't know enough characters to make uh, sentences and longer form content to when you do. And that bridge is what the Hansa movie method does, which means that eventually you can forget the scene, it's no big deal, because you've already gotten the character, the pronunciation, the components, and the tone, and, and the, the meaning, it's all in your head forever. So uh, once you've done that, who cares whether you remember the original scene? Uh, but many scenes you will remember forever, because they're just so good. Theodore March on make a movie for which means to halt or stop. What's the difference between zhi and ting? So this is a great question. As is often the case with characters that have very similar meanings, the difference is um, that zhi and ting, zhi is just a morpheme, you cannot use it by itself, and ting is a word that you can use by itself. You can just say to somebody ting, and that means halt, stop, right? But you can't just say to somebody zhi, is a morphine. And what that means is that you could use it in the context of a word, right? Here's a simple one. Zhibu means step. So zhibu means to stop walking, right? Stop making steps, right? And so by itself doesn't mean anything. Uh, it doesn't have a, I mean, it means something, but it doesn't function by itself. But as soon as you say zhibu, uh, then you can, that counts. Now, um, uh, there, there's loads of different words that will use zhi in this way, but the point is you can't use it by itself. Ting, you can. And this is often the difference between these types of morphemes. Um, it's also worth recognizing, and I'll, uh, I know I sound like a broken record with this, and I apologize if it bothers anybody, but it's really important when you're thinking, what's the difference between this and this? And 
you just got to remember that when you're asking that question, you're making a transition from acquiring language into the field of linguistics, because you're essentially saying before uh, I could have just figured this out through context, but now I'm going to switch to intellectually trying to understand the difference. And that's really interesting. That stuff is really fascinating. It's just important to recognize that it's not the same as acquiring language. The way you're going to acquire the difference between and ting is by seeing them in context loads of times, and then you'll naturally figure out through your brain's incredible language acquisition pattern recognition machine that uh, you use zhi in this context and you use ting in that context. And so um, whatever it is that you're like, it, while it is interesting to ask these types of questions, just remember they won't actually help you acquire the language. And in fact, they could slow you down because they could make you think about it too much. Because of course, language is a an intuitive process. It's something that you discover as you're saying it. You don't really think about things when you're you know impro improvising. I'm not talking about like a prepared speech, but like when you're improvising and speaking uh, off the cuff, you're discovering what you're going to say pretty much at the same time as you're saying it. So if you have to think about it beforehand, that's what causes you to stutter and speak slowly and kind of stammer your speech because you're trying too hard to say things perfectly. But people make mistakes all the time in their speech. If you listen back to this podcast, I've said, uh, I've had uh, just now just in this moment, they're starting and stopping. There's all sorts of things that will happen, but it's not like I'm not getting the message across in the end. So um, it's important to remember that the intellectual questions of what's the difference between these two things are they they do serve a purpose they can satisfy an intellectual curiosity uh it's really fascinating to understand the etymology between these things just be aware that it's not going to help you acquire the language and it's not going to help you use the language in any particular way it's just going to you know satisfy that that feeling of like you know how does the language how is the language structured which is perfectly fine to do um but yeah it's just important to recognize that Alexandra on compound final ow in the pronunciation mastery course are the common words that use AO finals and other common words listed previously provided part of the Anki decks. Should we be adding these to practice pronunciation or should we just practice these using the EPUB slash PDF slash Google slides? Thanks. These are not in the Anki decks because they don't need to be. That's not the purpose of these particular uh, um, Google slides slash EPUBs. So, what these are for is just to give you a way of framing uh, the language around this particular um, final. So we put all of the different, we, we picked at least one word for each initial that combines with that final. So you could say with all, you could say shao, tao, dao, sao, lao. Like there's all these different initials that you can combine with all. And, uh, of course, there's the four tones and all that. And so we just picked common words that use those different uh, initials so that you get a chance to practice all possible combinations. But the way that you practice it is in the um, Google slide itself, you just click around, click the audio, see how it sounds, repeat it, um, try to mimic it, all that. But it's just meant to give you that practice because, of course, you're going to get a chance to practice all of these loads of times in your Anki cards later in the Mandarin Blueberry Method Foundation course and, and also in your Pronunciation Mastery Anki cards as well. But as you continue to learn Chinese, of course, you're going to have loads and loads of chances to 
repeat and, and practice these things again. And so it's unnecessary to have these Izanki cards because the vocabulary isn't as important as just the chance to say, okay, for the time being, for the next 10 minutes or so, I'm just gonna really think about compound final AO and think about how it sounds with all the different initials and practice on this uh, EPUB slash Google slide. That's perfectly fine to do and you don't need to have a spaced repetition about it because like I say, the frequency of the vocabulary words is gonna be totally random because it's not the point. Jose PG on new vocabulary unlocked for Xiangfa. In this phrase, 在工作上, 儿子有什么好的想法? What is the role of shang in it? So, when you have 在 something, followed by shang, zhong, or xia, what these are essentially saying, is it's sort of establishing a frame of reference, right? So, um, 在这个过程中, so, uh, in this guocheng means process, zhong, amidst. So, 在这个过程中, in this process, amidst this process. So that's where you where you would use zhong because it's in the middle of something. 在这个过程中,请注意安全, uh, please pay attention, please be, be safe. Um, and uh, so, in this process, be sure you're safe. How about... Um, 在他的指导下, 指导 means um, uh, guidance. So under his guidance, right? So 在他的指导下, right? So again, 在 something, 下, so un, under his tutelage or his uh, guidance, right? So we put 下 there. Now, 在工作上, on the work, or regarding the work, it, with uh, upon the work, right? It's not exactly amidst the work. It's not under the work. It's sort of shang is kind of like, um, it's probably the most abstract of the three, but it's like in regards to this thing, right? So in regard on, upon this topic, right? So 在工作上, so in regards to work, 儿子有什么好的想法? Uh, so what uh, good opinions does the sun have, right? So it's sort of establishing a frame of reference and depending on what it is, it's either gonna be upon, like 工作,在工作上, or amidst, or like, you know, in the middle of, 在这个过程中, or below, like uh, underneath, so in the case of, say, somebody's guidance, 在他的指导下, or, um, so yeah, so basically that's how that, that works. You'll see that a lot. So it's like at the beginning of a sentence, zai, something, and then shang, zhong, or xia. So above, amidst, or below. There's other things you could put there, but for now, those are the three that you would want to put. Shang, zhong, and xia. Cornell SN on pick a prop, and this is the prop that is for what we call loser, and it's kind of got the, uh, it's two strokes, and it's sort of the same prop as zhen uh, when it's on the left, but it's sort of flipped over and on the top. Cornel says, it's a prop. Why does it need to be related to a keyword? So the keyword in this case is just meant to give you um, fodder for an object or a person to represent it. So we say, okay, how about a loser? You can imagine somebody, because it's like a person lying down, so it's a lazy loser. It's just, it's just an association we made. We can make it, you can make it something else. Like a lot of people say it kind of looks like a gun, so you can make it a gun if you want, like an old sort of um, musket type gun. And uh, 
that would be fine as well. We just want you to come up with an association so that you can imagine an object that will be what you use um, in in the the future scenes. So it's not specifically a keyword in the same way that a make a movie is a keyword connection, but it is, um, you know, uh, necessary to have some type of association with it, whether how it looks or some kind of other uh, related meaning. Jason Pon on It's a Word for Yang. Uh, the sentence is, on the usage of de, I recall there being an earlier sentence where this construction was also used. There's an implied word following the de to denote possession. In this case, what would that implied word be? Would it be yang uh, to make judger yang, shibai the yang, to mean literally the sheep is white of sheep or sheep's white? Um, no. So good to notice that, Jason, because what that is like for here's the thing that Jason's talking about. So suppose I was pointing to my bike and I said, So that my, I'm establishing the subject, So this bike, is mine. But what is mine? It's my bike. So I, but I didn't have to say twice. I say, but I could say, uh, but it sounds a little redundant, doesn't it? Because I'm saying, like, the this bike is my bike. Isn't it just easier to say this bike is mine, right? So it's like you can omit the thing of possession. In this case, though, this is the construction emphasizing a detail. So in the case of is a noun, so whatever comes after du is the possession of the noun, right? But by is means white, it's an adjective. So what we're doing here is we're describing the sheep, in which case we're using the shi du construction to emphasize details of descriptions, which we talk about in the lesson on the shi du construction. So zhe zhe yang shi bai de um, is emphasizing a detail about the sheep that it is a white sheep. You know, maybe you're emphasizing this detail because you have many different colors of sheep. You have a you have black sheep. You have a whatever. You've got different colors. And so you say, you're pointing out that particular detail, uh, emphasizing that particular detail. And so it's not uh, the same situation of possession because that construction is uh, meant to emphasize details in some way. So it's just a different usage uh, in this case. It's not that same usage as before. Reina on how to find and fix pronunciation problems, uh, which is in the Pronunciation Mastery course. She says, the mobile app, in Android at least, does have the option to records, record one's own voice and play it back. I believe she's referring to the Anki app. Uh, within a card, tap the three-dot menu button, then tap Edit Card, scroll down to Audio, and click the paperclip attachment icon. Give the Anki app permission to record audio. Press the red record icon that appears to start recording and tap again when you are finished. Click the check mark to save the recording. Go back to your flashcard and a new arrow icon with your recording will be visible. It will play last after the other audio on the card. Of course, you can delete and re-record at any time in the future as well. So this is great advice when you're practicing your pronunciation. Before you're working with a tutor, uh, you're going to need to record yourself because you sound different in your own ears than you do uh, when you hear a recording. It's much more objective. And when you hear a recording of a native next to a recording of yourself, that gives you the closest thing you can get to objective feedback without a tutor. And um, 
you know, getting a tutor when you're just in the pronunciation phase is tricky because on the one hand, you do need somebody to give you feedback, but on the other hand, you don't have much to say yet because you haven't learned, uh, you haven't gotten the comprehensible input that gives you vocabulary and makes you acquire the language and therefore gives you something to say. So you could theoretically go into a tutoring session and just say, hey, tutor, I'm just going to say some Chinese words. Can you help me, you know, say them properly? Uh, that's fine, but it's just essentially some drills that you're doing. And, you know, drills are fine in the early days. Uh, but there's also the, um, you know, since there's not much to say with a tutor, you might want to wait to have a tutor until you've gotten further into the Mandarin Blueprint method, gotten all that comprehensible input, and you might actually have something to say. So, um, you know, it's if you're not going to use a tutor, having a recording next to the recording, a recording of your own voice next to the recording of a native speaker is the closest thing to objective feedback you might be able to get. And of course, you can also... Uh, make recordings of yourself and send them to a tutor and they could give you some critiques. That might be better use of your time than uh, to actually have a lesson and pay money for the lesson in that way because, uh, you know, of course, it's hard to have a conversation when you don't know any vocabulary yet. Ramona on New Vocabulary Unlocked, Xingqi. She says, I've always had a hard time remembering this word, Xingqi, which means weak. So it's like the star period. That's a, I don't know why exactly they went with that for week, but um, you know maybe it has something to do with uh, astronomy. Is it okay if I use for Monday, Zhou Yi instead of Xing Qi Yi? I've actually heard and seen Chinese people referring to Monday using Zhou Yi. Thanks, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Both are okay. Uh, Zhou Yi or Xing Qi Yi are totally fine. The only thing to bear in mind is that if you're going to say Zhou to refer to the day of the week, Joe E, Joe R, Joe San. Uh, these are all fine. The only difference is Sunday. So Sunday, uh, if you're going to use Xing Qi, you would say Xing Qi Tian. Xing Qi Tian. So Tian means day or sky, and Xing Qi Tian is uh, the meaning for Sunday. So you don't say, um, for example, Xing Qi Yi is. Monday, you do not say Xing Qi Qi for Sunday, like as the seventh day. You say Xing Qi Tian, so it's a special case. And but you do not say you. Well, let's put it this way: you do say with Zhou, you say Zhou Zhi, Zhou Zhi. You put Zhi there. You do not put Tian with Zhou. So that's an important one to recognize. Now, there's another word that you can use for uh, Sunday, which refers to the idea that Sunday is the worship day of some sort. It's interesting that a lot of people still say this in China, despite the fact that Sunday isn't particularly a worship day in China. It's not a Christian nation or anything, but uh, still, Li Bai Tian, Li Bai is sort of um, the ceremony of worship. Bai can mean like, you know, sort of to worship something, and Li is ceremony. So, ceremony worship day, Li Bai Tian. And a lot of people will actually say that uh, for Sunday. Uh, I hear it all the time, actually. Um, so for Sunday, there's three ways you could say it. You could say Li Bai Tian, which is actually kind of the easiest one to say. Li Bai Tian. Uh, you've got Zhou Zhi, Zhou Zhi, or Xing Qi Tian, Xing Qi Tian. So, um, and so yeah, so that's how that works for, and then of course the other days, uh, you don't say Li Bai for any of the other days, but for the other days, it's just either Zhou Yi, Zhou R, Zhou San, and up to Liu for Saturday. Or Xing Qi Yi, Xing Qi R. Both are fine. They're exactly the same. Chris Lewis on the drawbacks of having, having bad pronunciation. Is there a way to download the videos for offline playing? 
No, we do not do that. They're all online. Apologies, but uh, it's just a matter of, you know, if you put if you make everything downloadable, then it's very easy for people to copy. And it's just, you know, sure, anything that you put on the internet, somebody could copy, but we're not exactly trying to make it easy for them to just take our content and potentially sell it elsewhere or something like that. You know, we, we it's just, this is the reality of having an online uh, service is that you have to hedge a little bit against people who are just going to take it. I mean, you can't totally stop it, but, um, you know, you got to do some things a little bit. So, uh, so the no, unfortunately. Uh, Chris Lewis on Pick a Prop for R. Ever seen The Shining by Stanley Kubrick? Is there a way to have a video auto move on after it's finished from the last one? So this setting exists on the platform Kajabi, which we use for um, the to host the course. But the problem is that you need to read the descriptions below the videos. And if you have auto... Uh, auto move on or sort of autoplay going, then as you're reading the des description, suddenly the page changes to the next page before you're done. So uh, we have to make it so that it doesn't autoplay, uh, but you can always just click next lesson. Chris Lewis on what about the Mandarin tones? When I pick a set, could it be at different rooms in the same high school or better to have three distinct places as not to get confused? So he says like AN band room, AI, Eye of the Tiger football changing room, motivational music, ENG English music teachers room in the same school. Uh, no, this is not the way you should do it. So here's the way you can think of it. The final, the full final, like AN is represented by the entire place. So for example, um, here's an example for E. Ugh. We like to say elementary school, why not? Or, or EN because elementary school, that's fine. But let's just say E, it's elementary school. So everything E that like, like for example, which means to drink, right? That takes place in your elementary school, which means um, and, that takes place in your elementary school. Uh, let's see here, what, uh, what do we have? Uh, which means to provoke, third tone. That takes place in your elementary school. And which means hot. That takes place in your elementary school because they all have E, right? The difference is that to drink takes place outside the entrance of the element, elementary school with an H actor. Takes place inside the entrance or in the cafeteria because that's kitchen related. Um, in your elementary school, takes place in some other room in the elementary school that you want, and then takes place either in a bathroom or maybe takes place in the uh, recess playground, which is like sort of the equivalent of the backyard. The point is that the elementary school is the representation of E, the, and it is the whole set. So the whole set represents the actual final and then the rooms represent the four different tones. So uh, if you had one place where the different um, rooms represent the different final, then how are you going to emphasize the tone? For example, I mean, you, there's probably ways you could do it, but don't overcomplicate it. There's no need to. So for example, you have AN is the band room, but there's four tones for AN, right? So it's like you've got AN, 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 AN. Right, so are they going to be four different spots in the band room? Right, so it's not the borders aren't clear enough. Right, you want very defined borders so that it's no doubt I am in the I'm in this room and that means it's third tone, or I'm in this room and that means I'm in fourth tone. And so, uh, yeah, the just to emphasize it again, the set is represent representative of the final, and the tones are represented by the uh, rooms in that set. Julie Henschel-Lund on It's a Word for Joel. 
Could you please explain how this sentence works? 别说这种话 The translation says, "Don't say that type of thing." But shouldn't it be "not" instead of "j" since the translation is "that type"? So that's a good question. So,、uh, sh- yeah, sure. I mean, it's obviously、um, it strikes me as as in English we would say, "Don't say that type of thing." We wouldn't really say, "Don't say this type of thing," but in Chinese they might say, "Be sure, this kind of thing, this kind of thing." You know, the translation is more about how we say it in English than it is a direct translation. So you you should know this, Julie. We do our translations based on getting across the message. We don't. I mean, obviously, translation translation is annoying. Let me tell you that right off the bat. It's something that can drive you crazy. I don't like translating. Whenever I have to translate, you know, there's so much interpretation that could be done with it. There's different ways to express things, and sometimes you don't ever express things in the exact same word order or in the exact same way、uh, as you do from one language to the other. So you have to interpret the sort of、um, raw meaning and translate it that way. We like to do that. We like to say, "What's the raw meaning here?" and "How would you say that in English?" so that you can understand. That in Chinese to get across this raw meaning, this is what you would say, even if it doesn't directly translate. So, in Chinese, you would totally say "bie shuo jie zhong hua," and but in English, you don't really say, you know, don't say this type of thing. You say, don't say that type of thing. So usually that in English, but in Chinese, you totally can say "ju" or "jie." So, the based on the raw meaning philosophy of translation,、uh, we should have the Chinese be "ju." And the English be that, even though they're not a direct translation. So that's the answer to that. And I know that that can be frustrating sometimes, and it's frustrating to me too. Like it's like translation is not a an exact science, so it can be strange sometimes. And then she says also, just to confirm, the hua indicates that it is spoken language rather than its written form, right? If I only had used shuo, it could be either or. Well, shuo means to speak, so hua means words, your words. So、uh, you could xie hua. So it's actually the opposite. Shuo is what indicates that for sure it's、um, spoken, and hua is just you know your words or your language in general. So it's not exactly the concept we have in English. Like obviously, the translation is don't say that type of thing. Um, but in Chinese, you know, hua is the noun essentially of speech or of、um, writing, and shuo is the verb, right? So shuo is the speaking part of it, or xie means to write, so or xie is the speaking part of it, or da is to type. So like,、uh, you could say bie da zhe zhong hua, that would be fine.、Um, usually, you say bie da zhe zhong zi, <laughs> so da zi is to type. But you know, you get the idea that.、Um, The the ending is the noun. It's the thing that you wrote, or it's the thing that you said, right? And so it's don't say that type of thing, right? Julie Henschelund on New Vocabulary Unlocked. Tiga, how do I know it's quote unquote I've been in China instead of quote unquote I will come to China in a few months in the sentence 我来中国几个月了 In the English is I've been in China for a few months. So 我来中国 So I come to China. 几个月了 So 了 indicates that the、um, action is 
completed. And in the case of it being at the end of the sentence, it's indicating change in general. So if I say, what I'm saying is that the process of a few months has happened, right? It's it's already, it, it, the change has occurred. Now, it's still happening because it's just, I'm standing and I'm in China and it's that's it's still happening, right? But uh, the le indicates that it is um, happened before and it's not, I will come to China in a few months. Um, and you probably say chu because you're not in China, right? You're going to go to China. Or and yao are both sort of indicators of what you will do. Yao is a bit more definitive. It's definitely happening. Um, and hui uh, is, is like a little bit, uh, it's almost like there's room for change if you say hui. Like, uh, so after a few months, would mean uh, I'll go to China after a few months and it's sort of, um, uh, it, it, the hui is a little bit less determined or sure as yao. Um, not to say that you're not sh certain, but you're just uh, not expressing it as definitively. Now, there's another question here that I believe is um, for the same, yeah, it's for the same lesson from Michaela Ellison. So without the le, does the sentence translate to I'm coming to China for a few months? That is kind of a weird way to say it. Let's see. If I wanted to say I'd spent a few months in China in the past, would I use dai instead of lai? Yeah, yeah. For example, could I say, No, uh, so dai, yeah, yeah, so she, she's figured it out here. Yeah, so you've got it there. That last one, that's the one. That's what you would say if you wanted to say, I've been there before. I've stayed there before, essentially. Like, um, Or you could say, that, That's because if you say, you're not in China. So like if you're in China, you would say, um, um, then you're in China, right? But if you're not in China, you would say, because... To say what I go would be misunderstanding your place in space because you're not, if you're not there, you would say, I've been before, I've gone before, right? So, what you go, what dai go is also okay because that means I stayed in China. It's just a different verb essentially getting across the same thing. Uh, if you stayed in China, the implication would be that maybe you had an apartment there and you lived there for a little bit. So, like, uh, but you know, it doesn't have to be like you could have been traveling in China for the feeling with what dai go. Uh, the, the feeling about that is that you uh, stayed a little bit longer. You you were there without it just being like a holiday or just a, a, a brief time that you were there. Like if you were just there for a little bit, you, you'd probably just say, uh, uh, So I've been there before. Next, we have Michaela Ellison again on It's a Word for Xiang. She says, is zhuo cai one word in the sentence or is this a case where you could use de as in So here's how you can think of this. Replace zhuo with ge. What I'm essentially saying here is that zhuo is the measure word here. 
And this is an example of how a measure word can change the meaning of a sentence it, with the, it being the only change. There's actually a few different measure words you could use for Thai. And bear in mind, sometimes I'll say this type of thing and people will be like, oh my gosh, there's so many measure words in Chinese. I can't believe how many measure words there are. Ah. But don't worry, because uh, we do the exact same thing in English. So this a, a plate of food, this plate of food, this table of food, this portion of food, um, this piece of food, right? You know, the, we have all different types of things that we can say, and Chinese does too. So uh, in this case, we're saying this table of food, zhe zhuo cai. Now, zhe zhuo de cai is okay. You might say zhe zhang zhuo de de cai. Because if you're going to say zhuo as a noun, as in zhuo as in a table, um, then you would probably say the full thing and then say de cai. So, zhe zhang zhuo de de cai. So, zhang is the measure word for tables. But that would be a weird thing to say. You probably wouldn't say that. You just use, you just make it efficient and say zhe zhuo cai. And that's a measure word for cai in that case. And so, zhe fen cai, a portion of food. Um, zhe pan cai. Uh, a plate of food. Jigatai, this food, this piece of food. Uh, and actually, gu is a, a common measure word for tai because, for example, if you're ordering a bunch of dishes for a group of people, I did this a lot over my vacation I was just on, you might say, because uh, uh, I forgot how many dishes I've ordered, and they say, uh, you know, I said, you've ordered eight dishes so far. And so, all of these different measure words can be fine. And so in this case, jewel is functioning as the measure word. Michaela Ellison on New Vocabulary Unlocked for Feiji. I think you can also use shang for the action of boarding a plane and xia for deplaning. For example, 我马上上飞机. You'd probably say 我马上上飞机了. Uh, but yeah, yeah, you totally can. 上飞机 or 下飞机 means getting in and out of a plane. 上车,下车, getting in and out of a car or a train. Um, that's how you say that. It's how you say get, uh, 上电梯, get on an elevator. 下电梯, get out of an elevator. Uh, so the 上 and 下 can mean get on or get out of various things, usually related to things you move in, uh, like a bus or a train or a plane or a car. And, uh, yeah, so that's totally a thing you can say. Also, 登机 is the more official word for it, like boarding, you know. Dengji uh, pai is your boarding pass. Dengji uh, is literally, deng means to uh, rise, like sort of go up, right? So usually the way it probably originally came about was that now you tend to go on those things in airports where you walk through the boarding gate and it go, leads directly to the, to the plane. But if you board a plane from the ground, you have to walk upstairs, right? So you walk up uh, those stairs and you dengji. So so that's a way of saying uh, to board a plane in a more uh, official capacity, but you could also say and that would be more colloquial. Um, yeah, so that's how that works. The thing is, with that type of thing, that's an example actually of the where the you need to know the written more formal version because uh, at, a, at an airport, they're not going to say they're going to say for sure because it's, a, it's an airport. They're, they've got like official announcements happening all the time and it's it's more formal right so um i just think it's really important not to think of formal language as somehow less frequent michaela ellison on new vocabulary unlocked for dong shi 
Is there an implied word after bieda to indicate the meaning of things? And the sentence she's referring to is 休息日,我总是休息,不干别的. And the English translation is, I always rest on my day off and don't do anything else. And so gan means to do, and bieda means other. And so gan means, because you have to do there, right? And from the previous context of the sentence, you have uh, so I'm always resting on my day off. Right? So she, because the sentence establishes that what they're doing is resting, then the implication is that bieda is anything else you could do. And gan is there to indicate to do as well. So bugan bieda. So bieda. Nanganda is a thing, so But it's it's implied from the context of the sentence. So uh you know, just it's, again, efficiency in language. You don't need to say it because the context of the sentence makes it clear. I always rest on my off day. I don't do other things, right? Like it's like you don't need to say uh you just basically saying nothing else, right? So yeah. Hopefully that's that's clear. William Beeman on new vocabulary unlocked for Mei Guanxi. Hi guys, can you parse this phrase Mei Guanxi? Its meaning is really not obvious from the individual characters except for Mei, of course. One can just memorize it like welcome in English, but it always helps to know the derivation of a phrase. Well, first of all, Mei Guanxi or Mei You Guanxi can be literal. You could say Ta de Xing Wei Guanxi. His behavior and my behavior are not related, right? So I don't know, somebody's saying, uh, accusing me of doing something because he did something, and I'm saying, no, that's the literal meaning of that. There is no relationship between the two things I just established. Now, you're kind of saying a similar thing when you just respond to somebody, you're saying it doesn't matter. There's no relationship like, so somebody's like, uh, oh, I'm sorry I'm late, mei guanxi, right? You're basically saying your apology and being late have no relationship. And it's just a way of saying, like, don't worry about it, right? Like, it's no big deal, right? And um, so you could think of it like that. Whatever, a lot of times when you say mei guanxi, uh, you, your point is to say that the thing you're concerned about, it's fine. Don't worry about it. There's no relationship between your concern and reality, I guess. <laughs> and so uh, it's just a way of putting someone's mind at ease and saying, no, no problem. Uh, and uh, a lot of times, and uh, are sort of interchangeable. You know, the, there's some, maybe some situations where you wouldn't use one or the other, but they're, they're often interchangeable. Alexandra on Unit 4 Wrap-Up. In pinyin, does the tone marker always sit on the first letter of the final? If not, what determines where it sits? Not necessarily because some of the finals have that weird thing where a, a, one of the letters is omitted. So, for example, shui, shui, S-H-U-I, right? Uh, but it should be S-H-U-E-I because wei shui, right? Shui. It should be on the uh, E, theoretically, but there is no E, so the tone marker goes above the I. But generally speaking, the tone marker goes above the uh, sound that's longest. So, 
ow, ow, ow. So it goes over the A because the A is a little bit longer than the O. Ow, ow. So that's where the tone marker goes. It goes over the letter that is enunciated the longest. But this it's very technical on that in that sense because, of course, when you're saying any pronunciation, it goes by so quickly that if you were to figure out which of the vowel sounds is articulated longer, it would require slowing down the speech massively to be able to determine that. But technically, that's what it is. It's that... Uh, the tone marker goes in the vowel that is articulated the longest, which is, yeah, again, it's a minuscule difference, but it is slightly longer, for example, in uh, ow or ai, 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 ai. So the a is a little bit longer than the e, so it goes over the a. Andreas Linneman on Make a Movie for P. So he says, I don't see why the elf prop is necessary in the construction of this character. Could it not just be a samurai sword and whatever we chose as the prop for J, a branch in my case. So the elf prop, we added that in because uh, the, the, the difference here is that they're on the right side of the top bit of P, there's a hook, right? So, and it, when you're drawing the character, uh, you need to add that hook in. And so we added the elf ear so that you remember that hook. Uh, otherwise, yeah, like I, when you, it was funny, when you asked the question, I was like, why didn't we do that? And then I remembered that was the thing that came up about it. It was that we wanted to make sure that you remember there's that hook uh, on the, the right side. So if you're um, just listening to the podcast, you can look at the character in the show notes. And uh, yeah, P has that little hook just to the right of um, the the top stroke. So that's why that is. And uh, by the way, I mean, you could, if you wanted, <clears throat> just use the two props and just try to remember that there's that extra stroke, uh, that extra little hook there. And that might be fine. That It's very likely that, that would be enough. But we just want to be sure that you remember that. So we added in the elf ear. And of course, the elf ear shares the uh, the first, well, the elf ear is technically one stroke, but the first half of the stroke shares the um, first stroke in the branch prop so there's that and bihari on bonus helper expressing that an action has happened before with guo curious if people in china typically answer yes to the question have you eaten when used as a how are you even if they haven't eaten yet similar to how we always say we're doing well or fine in english when asked right so uh is a common way for to be to be honest it's it's kind of dying out as a way of saying how are you because it was more of a thing that people said uh during the great leap forward and cultural revolution when that was a legitimate question you know it was the kind of thing where people uh weren't sure whether or not their neighbor had eaten so it was like a legitimate question uh and so that generation <clears throat> which is now you know uh pretty elderly that generation uh was it they would use that to say, how are you? Now, uh, usually people just respond, and you could say, well, I made sure, made sure. But uh, yeah, you're right. And people usually just say, regardless of the situation, because um, Chinese people are very polite. They wouldn't want to be a burden. And so like, it's like, if you say, well, I made sure you're, you're kind of putting a burden on the person. Like maybe you're going to give me food. Right. But now, again, like people don't say it very much anymore. Uh, I don't hear it in the younger generations pretty much at all. I mean, like, in, unless they're actually asking it. You know, of course, they might say, uh, uh, would mean like, 
in that case, I used may because a lot of times they'll use may instead of ma. It's your family, may. you know. Did you? Yeah. And usually they actually mean it. All right, let's take take a look at some movie scenes. Christine on make a movie for Jin, which means a half kilogram. It's the main unit of measurement for weight. Like if you're buying something at the supermarket, or you know, uh, you know, you're buying some meat or vegetables at the supermarket, Jin, which is about a half kilo. Kilo. My J.I. actress is outside my old high school, which is her E.N. location. She has to help out with the school feet. The old aunties baking stuff need exactly half a kilogram of butter for each set of scones, but they delivered one kilogram blocks. So there is an assembly line set up with the one kilogram blocks of butter coming past. Janine first cuts each one in half with a razor blade, then uses the stick to sweep each half kilogram block into a bucket ready to be used. Nice. I like it. Yeah, so we've got the... Uh, the razor blade, the stick, and I guess, um, in her case, perhaps the, uh, so we've got the factory prop from the top right to the bottom left, and I think that perhaps what she's using there, it's maybe the butter, perhaps? Yeah, I guess it could be the butter, or maybe it's a bucket. I'm not, I'm not totally sure, but regardless, um, the butter or the bucket is, are in there. Now, I guess whichever one it isn't, maybe isn't extraneous prop but i think this should be fine uh, for remembering it is the context where you would use tin is to measure something like butter right so perfect ramona and make a movie for gal i find my g actor eating beef soup in the bathtub so the beef soup represents the top component with his mouth the co-component full he begs me not to tell anyone about this right so gal means to tell and so yeah it, it, that's the context in which tell has the most emotional context like don't tell mom or don't tell anyone don't tell because i'm embarrassed about this eating beef soup in the in the, uh, in the bathtub and of course obviously i hope that ramona has his mouth doing something wild so it's like really clear that the mouth is uh, a prop there but the beef soup's great uh you can add the sense of smell there with the beef soup and uh you can imagine the hot tub that's uh, that's totally cool great scene and simple straight to the point i like it Della Fuller on Make a Movie for Gaul, which means to uh, engage in or to do. Gabriel entered into the brown, uh, Brownell, Brownell living room. So I guess that's the uh, her AO uh, set, third tone. To find Yao Ming engaged in, in twirling a basketball on his finger. <laughs> All right, sure. I mean, it's a pretty... Uh, you know, uh, the, the the keyword connection there is somewhat vague. I mean, you know, engaged in, but it's kind of hard to come up with engaged in. So, like, maybe he's just really, like, he's looking at it. And so he's, nothing could be uh, more interesting. Like, maybe other things are happening around him, but he's just so engaged at the uh, basketball on his finger. And, you know, so we got Yao Ming representing Gao, which is totally good prop for that. And then uh, finger and then he's engaged in. So, like, when you're really engaged in something, nothing else seems to matter. So maybe we just make that a little clearer. But otherwise, I like that, Della. And that's awesome. So that's it for this week's Mandarin Blue Room podcast. Thank you for tuning in, as always. And we'll see you here next week.